Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Biz.Ninja. We've got a real special guest on today. I'm really excited to have you, Raja. How are you doing, Raja? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Andreas. Happy, happy Friday. Uh, Friday. Excited? Or are you like me where you just work every weekend, too? <laughs> I, I am excited. I am excited. Every day kind of runs into one another now, but it's always good to get a little break. Yeah, yeah. How are you holding up during COVID? Doing well. I mean... I mean, I can't complain. You know, I, I think you and I are probably luckier than most. And there's some people really struck. So, so definitely can't complain, but, you know, yeah. it's pretty annoying. <laughs> you know, with what, that what said, you, it's pretty annoying. We're both in annoying. L.A. Yeah, we're both, we're both in L.A. And, and I think it was last week when they announced that we're, like, locking back down again. Yeah. I don't know if you were changing anything, if you were, like, secretly going to, like, bootleg underground. <laughs> but... I don't, were you doing anything different? I, I, I was, I haven't done much. I was considering venturing out to some outdoor restaurants, but then I saw that and figured not worth it anymore. So um, now pretty much at home, at home, taking walks, going on bike rides. I don't know if you still do that. <laughs> That's and we'll talk about that in a minute. So happy Friday, everyone. BizPod.Ninja Weekly every Thursday or Friday. And so this is our first Friday edition. So that makes you extra special, Roger. A couple of things. So before we get into your bio, I just want folks to know the first time I had spoken to this man, uh, Raja Niman, was actually uh, cycling. And then during the second day, half the time on in the back of a truck where we both got <laughs> injured. <laughs> it was last year. We didn't know each other. We both signed up for one of our dear friends' is cycling uh, a prostate cancer through France. We went from Paris to Monaco, a uh, thousand kilometers. What is that? Six, I think we did about 600 miles over days. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Prostate 1000. Prostate uh, 1000. And, and Gideon, Gideon started this awesome thing, raised a bunch of money. And yeah, it was six days, 600 miles from Paris to Monte Carlo, a uh, thousand kilometers. And it was, it was not easy. It was, <laughs> it was, it was I, not easy. I think we had 25 folks, 25 folks who were part of the group, including support crew. I think we had 20 folks. We had different Pelotons. We'd always say we're four Pelotons and there were the pro guys and, uh, you know, the intermediate, you know, the pretty advanced guys, intermediate guys. And then there was beginners. Uh, yeah. And we call ourselves Peloton four. And it was pretty much <laughs> yeah. Raja and myself. And that's how we got to know each other yeah. when we realized that we were the only two people who just learned how to cycle got convinced <laughs> a couple months before uh cycled yeah. only like a couple weeks and then embarked to paris with our with our you know road bikes and we got there yeah and i don't realized what the hell are we doing i don't i don't think i knew what peloton <laughs> meant until the second or third day yeah i just thought it was an expensive bike the riding in a peloton yeah public company but i guess it's the the group riding in the group that's the peloton yeah, Peloton is when you have seen cyclists um, in life or in a Tour de France when they're like right next, like a few inches away. They, it creates like an air bubble and you can get, and people alternate like when geese uh, fly. You've seen, uh, Mighty Duck, it's like the flying V. The flying bike. V of Mighty Duck, yeah. And so yeah. when they're like, which Peloton are you? I said, what do you mean? I have a road bike. And one of the guys who we didn't know um, when we first started that, that Tour de France, our own for the P1000, he looked at me and shook his head like, oh my goodness, who, who, 
who else is going to be like this on this group? Because there's no way we can cycle through France. But surely enough, we made it. Day two, uh, Raj and I, we had a little of an injury on, on one occasion. So we shared. Uh, that's where we learned that we had a lot of things in common. So yeah, uh, it was great pleasure that I introduced Raja. He's the co-founder and chief revenue officer of Market or Hire, a talent marketplace with a mission to make expert marketing accessible to everyone. Disclaimer. I'm an investor in the seed round and in the latest round, so two times. Uh, Marketer <laughs> Hire has uh, scaled rapidly with hundreds of clients from early stage startups to Fortune 100 companies in less than a year and a half. So they are hyper-scaling, and we'll talk about that a little later. Prior to Marketer Hire, he was co-founder and CEO of Bucket Fee, a footwear brand collaborating with global company uh, community of artists to create the most unique shoes in the world. Bucket Feet raised over $20 million in venture capital, including from Adidas, and sold about a million pairs of shoes in probably 30, over 30 countries, right? That's right. 30 plus countries. Before it was acquired by Threadless in 2017. So first startup, you know, most people never have an exit for many startups. First startup, exit. Pretty, that's a, that's a great accomplishment. As a passion project, Rajik co-founded Counterpoint, Counterpoint in 2019 a quote-unquote both sides political cartoon new newsletter with approximately 200,000 subscribers written and illustrated by Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonists. Pretty interesting. We'll get into that a little later as well. He began his career in private equity, PE, uh, investment banking, and graduated from Northwestern University in 2004, just like myself, twinsies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the personal front, Raj is an avid traveler, and now we... He, we also know he's an avid cyclist from what we yeah. just discussed earlier. Um, in 2008 or 2008 and 2009, he backpacked around the world by himself for a year and a half, traveling to over 35 countries on every continent. And uh, does that include Antarctica, Raja, to every <laughs> continent? It, it, does, it does not. So six, <laughs> call it six continents. Who is your proofreader? Uh, six, six continents. I made it very close. I made it to the southern tip of Argentina and didn't want to cough up the, the 10 grand or whatever to take a boat to Antarctica. Should have done it. Then you could have claimed every continent. <laughs> Sorry, my man. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get in. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. How did you end up going from iBanking PE to being an accomplished entrepreneur? Uh, first startup to exit. That's pretty incredible. Tell me about your journey here. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, you know, started out in finance, like most called either either you're a doctor or you're in finance or you're a lawyer. If you're uh, an Asian immigrant kid, that's kind of what you what, what you do. Uh, and it's funny, my, my parents didn't even want me to go into banking. They didn't know what investment banking was. So they're already disappointed. I wasn't going to be a doctor like my brother. So I did the whole finance thing. And, you know, I think I was good at it, but didn't wasn't really passionate about it. And I had an option in 2008 to either go to business school to take a promotion offer at my private equity fund or to do something different. And I walked into my partner's Which office. That fund was this? I was at a firm called Prairie Capital, uh, lower middle market fund in Chicago. Got it. And I said, hey, I'm actually going <laughs> to travel. I'm going to quit and travel. And, and this is August of 2008, not knowing that September 2008, for, for those of you that remember, was was a pretty big economic crash. I'm not necessarily all the stuff we're going through now, but a pretty the, the housing crisis and banks, banks failing and, and all that. 
And it's just been a dream of mine ever since I studied abroad in college to travel and it felt like the right time. So I started on that journey and I would say the biggest impact of that trip on now being an entrepreneur and now not being able to imagine any other way of, of being for me personally was it gave me the confidence to do something different. It gave me the confidence to say, Hey, I don't need to do the things I'm supposed to do or people want me to do, or just because I can make money here, I should go do that. It gave me the confidence to say, you can do different things and you're fine. Like the world keeps spinning, right? Like my life didn't, you know, people imagine they go try something. They're, they're like, everything gets ruined. That's not reality. It's just no. another day. And so that trip really inspired confidence more than anything. There was no light bulb moment, but randomly, you know, as I was traveling, I met an artist, another American named Aaron, who's living in Argentina as a photographer and, and had a it hobby. Sounds like a, it sounds like a really good um, uh, start of a, of a movie. Literally had a, literally had a side business drawing on shoes. And yeah. I bought one of these pairs of shoes and I traveled the world with them. And everywhere I went, people would ask me about them. And instead of saying these are Nikes or Adidas or whatever, I had a story to tell. I was like, oh, well, actually this guy, this artist in Argentina designed it and the, and the inspiration is this. Mm. And so post-traveling, I had a short stint in the Middle East, actually, in Abu Dhabi. And I moved back to Chicago, had no market study, <laughs> no business plan, uh, like literally nothing. Didn't understand like yeah. how to make shoes or what margin you had. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. doesn't matter. And, and with a lot of hard work and a lot of luck, quite frankly, we just kind of dragged it into turning into something and, and we kind of put one foot ahead of the other and, and there you have it. Wow. That's, thank you for that. That was uh that's an incredible story. Yeah. I think that's, you know, and I've had a lot of people, we know, we have colleagues and have come across a lot of folks who don't know how to make that jump. They're, they, they are stuck on the path, whatever that path is. And they're just scared to even leave their own companies for another large company. And I think once you kind of pull the, you know, myself, I've worked at like big companies. My first job was at Microsoft. And then I worked at Vodafone Group and other large companies in Samsung, Silicon Valley, et cetera. So when I had that journey, I just, I, I kind of had a similar experience to, to you. I took a sabbatical as well, but a little, a little later, 2013, and took about two, two years uh, of like, yeah, traveling the world, doing something very similar. That's another thing that we learned how we had a lot of com uh, in common during our cycling tour. Yeah, but sure. I, I realized at that point, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to continue on my doing this consulting advisory business and, and, and do other things. And every time you make a new transition, it really teaches you that everything's fine. The world's still spinning, right? Yeah. You're, so you're not, you, you lose that fear of, of failure. You know, there, there's a great story. I, I don't know who said this first, but they likened trying something new or, and many times entrepreneurship to riding a bike. You know, every single kid that the first time they try to ride a bike, they fall. Yeah. And our parents don't tell us, hey, you fell. Like, never do that again. Like, you should never try it. That's, that's terrible. But somewhere along the way, as we get older and grow up, failing becomes seen as this negative thing that if you don't do something right the first time, you should never do it again. But, you know, what, what I always say is, like, why are you so – you should actually never be good at something the first time. It means that thing is probably like too easy and anyone can oh, do it. Like, you should be the worst at something the first time you try it. And once you kind of you change your mind and perspective on, on failure and realize that's the only time you're learning, actually, that's the only time you're doing something hard, you know, then it flips the script on that whole thing. And so I always remind myself of that. 
Thank you, Raja. That's powerful. I love that. That's yeah, that's a such a cool way of, of thinking and a great perspective. I will steal that and I may not <laughs> reference who, who my soul. Um, what is what's what was the main learning lesson at Bucket Feet? So we just heard about your incredible journey, how you started yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Making capital to transacting first time, that's an incredible journey. Yeah, I, I would say two, two, two learnings that I, I think maybe be helpful for, for everyone, particularly like first time entrepreneurs. So number one is fundraising. You know, the best piece of advice I got, and I think it was from Dan Leviton at Maveron, who actually never invested in my company. And, and he said to me, and he, he loved my shoes, supposedly like loved the shoes, wore them all the time. This is before Allbirds came out. And, and now I think he's an Allbirds fan. And he said, you know, me liking your shoes is not necessarily like that relevant to me investing in your business. Because what entrepreneurs think is, oh, like this person loves it. They use it. Like they try it. Like they're going to invest in my business. And, and that's not the reality, right? Like one, you know, LPs give a, a fund money to invest in certain things. So first of all, you have to fit within those certain things. Then right. two, you have to be at the right stage at the right time for that particular fund. And then even if you are at the right stage and right time, you have to, they have to have enough capital left to actually make sense to, to make new investments. And then even if they have that, they have to have not enough, not too many shoe brands yet because yeah. they don't want to be overexposed to, to footwear brands. Yeah. So there's all these things and fundraising isn't hard necessarily because it's hard to have a good idea and to have traction and get in front of people. Fundraising is hard because all these things that have nothing to do with you and your business yeah, hugely important to fundraising. And, and that's why, you know, you have to give yourself enough time. You have to take enough meetings and calls. You have to play the long game here and you have to not take it personal. You have to realize you're going to get way more no's than you are yeses. Even if you're the hottest company in the world, Airbnb, when they first were raising money, they got way more no's than yeses. So that's one. And then two is I used to always try to adapt myself to the people I hired. So I would, you know, our team grew pretty big and I would always try to be the perfect boss for each person. So, oh, this person needs a lot of feedback. I'm going to give a lot of feedback. This person needs room. I'm going to give a lot of room. And I was trying to change myself for a hundred people. And that's, that's impossible. Right. You can't change yourself for a hundred people. And so I actually learned this lesson through the pain sometimes of bucket feet, but also through shoe dog, uh, Phil Knight's book on, on Nike, which is he would hire people that could deal with him the way he was. Because it's a lot easier for ton for all your employees to adapt to you than it is for you to adapt to a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand employees. Yeah. That's and, a great and, and and then going in, yeah. the culture's there, like everything's there, because you're not trying to change everything for every new person that that comes in. And it's kind of counterintuitive because as a leader, you try to be this great leader, you try to adapt, you try to hear everyone, but it's so counterintuitive to being successful as a manager. That's, that's very insightful. Yeah. That's a, a, a good insight from, you know, strong business ninja insights into general management, because I, I, even if, even if you're not managing people, I feel even that's the way you should even act towards investors too. Like that same kind of mindset, you can't always tell them you have to be real and raw and somebody in either an investor or the people who hire compliment you or they don't. And if they don't, that means that was your problem. You didn't, 
you didn't actually hire the right person or bring on the right investor. Yeah, and if you're not if you're not transparent, you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna come to light eventually, and right. then you're all just gonna be bummed out. Like employees are gonna be bummed out that join this company they don't like. You're gonna be bummed out that you hired this person, or and the same is with investors. Yeah. Like you said, like it's it's the you know eventually starting a company is hard. You know, Ben Horowitz calls it the hard thing about hard things. And so all these things are going to come to light eventually. That's right. All right. Thank you for those insights. So what are you up to today? Tell me, I think you got a couple of things that you're working on. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I have a kind of small passion project that's randomly gotten very large. My, my co-founder and, and business partner, Chris, who, who I started Marketer Hire with, we also helped co-found this two-sided political cartooning newsletter. And it, the, really the idea behind it was, you know, having a contribution toward everyone's trying to figure out like, how do we get rid of fake news? How do we get people to talk to each other? How do we have discourse? Yeah. And so the insight there was, and then we can't take credit for us, we have partners, was that if you just admit to your bias on both sides, that's a way for people to start believing again what you say. So when we put something on the left out, we'll say, this is the left. Like this is bias to the left. When we put something on the right out, this is the right, and this is bias yeah. to the right. And because it's cartoons, it does it in a bit of a fun way where people will actually react and talk about it. And you know, if you ever go to our Facebook page, you will see the depths of the internet trolls come out on, on these cartoon posts. But, but at least people are talking. At least people are talking and, and listening to different viewpoints. Where I spend 99% of my time is a company called Marketer Hire. Before we get to market or hire, where, sure. where can folks find your materials on both sides? Because that's interesting. Yeah, so it's called CounterPoint. And if you just go to counterpoint.com, uh, you can sign up. There's a free version of the newsletter that goes out twice a week. And then there's a paid version for five times a week. Awesome. So market or hire? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Your, so Your latest, so, your latest um, creation. Yeah, so so I, with with Chris, we we started this company, and and you know I can take no credit for it. Chris has been a lifetime marketer, and and this is probably something he's been thinking about for the last ten years, and and we're finally doing it. But really simple, our our mission is to make expert marketing accessible to everyone. Today we do that by connecting companies, big and small, yeah. to best in class, pre vetted marketers on demand that you can work with remotely and on a freelance basis. You know, we want to make hiring a marketer, which forever has seemed like the hardest thing to do because nobody seems to understand marketing and everyone defines it differently and everyone yeah. wants different things. It's we want like to make it as easy. Yeah, not like, not like some of these things that have become a bit more codified. Marketers are still seen as magicians to an extent. We want it to feel just as easy as, you know, calling an Uber. We want to feel just as easy as, you know, finding a place on Airbnb, but for a person that can literally be the difference between you building a huge business or not building a huge business. So really, really important in today's day and age. Um, and we launched that and we publicly launched on Product Hunt in February 2019. And we've, you know, in the last 12 months, we've 10x the business. It's growing very, very fast, very much faster than anything I've ever been involved with, uh, much faster than anything Chris has ever been involved with. And it's amazing because we, we literally have some of the most well-known brands in the world and we're not reaching out to brands. Ones. What are some of the most well brands in the world? 
Yeah, so, so, so you know, a, a new feel, client of feel free ours. Feel free to on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a new client of ours is Netflix. Netflix is a client. We didn't reach out to them. We have no relationship with Netflix. They literally filled out a form just like everyone else. And, and the fact that, you know, companies like that need help with this tell you how broken the system is. Hiring is really hard. That it takes hard. a lot of time. It's hard to vet people. And it's the reason a lot of people go the agency route. The problem with agencies is agencies are very, very expensive. They charge massive premiums. They have massive profit margins. And so we're really trying to cut out the middleman, get you direct talent. What are the margins on, on agencies typically? I, I, I mean, it differs. It differs. But, but one of the reasons agencies I've are seen, expensive. I've seen like 30% to like 100%. Yeah, one of the reasons agencies are expensive, especially if you think about performance marketing, is typically yeah. they'll charge you on percentage of spend. So as you're scaling, you know, as you're scaling spend on, let's say, Facebook, they're getting a fixed percentage of that spend. Mm. And the, the work, arguably, is getting easier as you're scaling. It's actually really hard to set things up properly. Yeah. It's easier to maintain things and keep them going and, and keep them going well. Of course, there's work, work more work with more spend, but right. that's why they cost so much. And, and so we wanted to create a model where you pay for the time you need and that's it. And, and so, you know, we think we've built a better mousetrap. You, you certainly have given the numbers that I've seen and another reason why <laughs> I've, I've also reinvested in the, in the latest round. So <laughs> double down there. What prevents, what is secret sauce? How can you talk, like, why is marketer hire so good relative to your competitors? I know why, but, you know, can you just give the folks who are either watching live right now or in the future, why is marketing hire? Like, how have you been able to attract so many, like, top global brands? What is it that you're doing better than everyone else? Because yeah, that's an important you, reason for scale that as, as, as how yeah, you are scaling. Ultimately, it comes down to, do we have great marketers? Can we match them to you quickly? And can we give you confidence by allowing you to try them and work with them on a, on a very limited or low risk or no risk? Can, you, can you define great marketers? Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the hardest things about hiring for marketers is figuring out if they're good. If you can't, if you can't run Facebook ads yourself at a very high level, how are you expected to vet somebody for being able to do that job at a high level? And the reason marketing is extra hard is because marketing is changing so rapidly, right? Algorithms on every platform are changing weekly. Tactics and strategies are changing daily. New platforms are popping up all the time. I and mean, a few years ago, there was no TikTok. Like TikTok is a massive thing that you need to be on now, right? When I start, when I launched my first company, Instagram wasn't a thing. Yeah. There was no influencer marketing. There's no Instagram marketing. Yeah. So it's changing so rapidly, it, it makes it even harder to keep up with that change. And so, you know, being able to identify the right people, having a system in place to do that, and then being able what, to connect. What, what yeah, I'm trying ahead. to get at a little bit, like what percentage of like the general marketplace would you, are, like, what's your acceptance rate? Yeah, so we accept less than 5% of marketers that apply to the platform. And there's not a fixed rate there necessarily, but we have a very, very high bar. And these aren't, you know, people, nothing against kids just out of college. And there are obviously some wonder kids out there that are just very, very good and talented. But these aren't yeah. people with no experience that you can hire cheaply. You know, these are premium people. These are people that have worked at companies you aspire to be like. These are people that have real accomplishments what, that you can go check out. Company? 
what companies? Yeah, so you know, our, our marketers come from you know pretty much every top company you can think of. We have marketers with experience from them, from you know the the Coca Colas and the Amazons to the you know to the Allbirds and the Thrive Market to the you know Netflixes and Airbnbs and Ubers. You know, our marketers bring that type of experience to the table, and and that's really great because. You know, if you were going to try to hire that person full time in house, you couldn't afford them or you just couldn't get them. You know, they have so many options in terms of who to work with. And so we give them an option to work with lots of different clients and we give clients an option to work with the best talent for the amount of time they need it. So one of the things we say a lot is the right marketer, but also the right amount of marketing. Everyone Mm -hmm. doesn't need 40 hours a week of an expert. Everyone doesn't need you know, somebody in-house sitting in an office for 60 hours a week. Some people need somebody 10 hours a week spending on their Facebook account. Yep. That's kind of how my, my corporate development advisory practice works. Same thing. And that's the same sort of value that I found how I work with, you know, from startups to like Fortune 100 companies mm-hmm. while I work with teams. So like we don't necessarily address 100%, but I, I might be able to contribute 10%, 15%, 25%. And it's the same thing in marketing. So what yeah. is the qu- last question well, on well, that? Well, well, well on, that, on that note, Andreas, I mean, if you were at a big firm to, to work with you, like you might still be doing the work and that client of yours is going to pay 10x. But because they're able to go direct to you, they still get you, right? That hasn't changed, but they pay way less. And so like the value prop there is so massive. Yep, yep. That's right. And one last question. So the marketers that are on marketer hire platform, are they full-time freelance or independent or, or, or does, depending on the companies that allow them, are they able to uh, moonlight or decide projects? Like how, what's the split between people who are fully independent, who had those previous backgrounds at P and G or Coca-Cola or Microsoft that are now fully independent versus those who are, you know, this is maybe part of their side hustle. Yeah, and, and side hustles have become popular and accepted. Popular. And I feel like everyone has something on the side. And, you know, we don't get intertwined with what agreements an employee might have with the company they work with. Yeah. But call it 50, 60% of our marketers are full-time freelance. Um, and yeah. many of them choose to freelance with us exclusively because we get them the best clients. We pay them the best rate. Everything yeah. is really easy and smooth. But then a lot of marketers, they're full-time and they just want to make extra money or they want to be challenged. And so we keep a really close eye on how much capacity everybody has. And we match that in a very data-driven way with what the demand is for, for certain roles. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that. Now for some final fun questions, because this is not all, bizpod.ninja isn't only business. <laughs> awesome. It's now, there you go. You know, now it's fun time. I've got the hat on. So during, you know, what, what do you like to be, what do you like to eat these days? What's your, what's your go-to staple food at home during, everyone has one. I've got a, a, a secret stash of, of Nugs 2.0 arriving. I'm an investor as well in Nugs, but they are so nice. freaking good. I, that's yeah. when I realized that like, this is a company to, to invest in. So, plus yeah. I also like the chocolate covered bananas desserts that you get at Trader Joe's. So I have, <laughs> you know, I have various things. What, what's your, what, what are a few of your staples? Yeah. So. <laughs> the the one thing the one the one thing that's kind of a constant is Trader Joe's sells these chocolate and turbinado sugar covered almonds. Wow! So dark chocolate. I think there's some sea salt on there. Turbinado sugar. I I go through a box of those every <laughs> every 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 few days. 
but otherwise, you know, trying to eat a bit healthier. My, my wife's uh, vegetarian. So, so the one silver lining of COVID is I've probably been eating a lot healthier than, than pre COVID and eating at home a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's changed everything. I used to be, you know, obviously go out quite a bit myself and I live here, <laughs> here you know, we both live in LA, great, amazing restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I am saving a lot of money now, realizing how much I don't. Get to <laughs> yeah. It's much cheaper to eat home. That was even yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, sh- it's shocking. Okay, let's say po- post COVID, everything's open tomorrow. You know, the <laughs> rays of sun have gleaned upon Earth. Chronic's <laughs> out. Where's the first uh, place you go on on Open Table, or where would you where would you make your first reservation? Oh man! Even in LA, because of course there's many other great restaurants in the world, but because we're both in LA, what's what's the restaurant you would go to? Yeah, that's a great question. So it, this isn't like a super fancy place, but it's it's close to where we live in in Brentwood. There's a pizza place on Wilshire called Milo and Olive Ooh, that we love. I mean, it's like amazing, amazing. I think like Neapolitan pizza, uh, and they like took it right in front of you, and it's like the ovens and like great wines, and it's kid friendly. So, I mean, even me and my daughter will go and sit at the bar because yeah. she likes it. Kid the, friendly, they let me in. Seeing the pizza oven. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that was, that's one of our favorite just kind of local family spots. I love that place. Actually, <clears throat> when we're able to meet up, that's going to be the first place where uh, we'll have to have dinner. Okay, so done. The next, time, the, next, the next time we hang out and, and eat something. What are, you, what are you reading these days? The last book, the last book I read, I think, was Skin in the Game by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. I always mix up his first and middle name, but by Nassim Taleb. Amazing. He wrote Black Swan, which is obviously a very famous book. Yeah. So, so that's great. And then, you know, I'm super into like philosophy and stuff like that. So I always come back to actually The Prophet by Halil Gibran. It's like a very short book of poetry, basically. A lot of amazing life lessons. Like if you're ever like stuck and you just want to like rethink about how you're approaching life or work or marriage or anything. It's like a very quick like reminder of, of putting things in perspective. Yeah, that, that is a great read. Um, I have a copy here as well, although it is dusty, so I can't claim that I've read it uh, recently or in yeah. the medium. Uh, <laughs> how are you staying fit? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I've been trying to. Write I, my I mean, by the way, that's implying that you, I'm not saying that I've I'm not I've implying been, that you are fit. I'm just saying I, I am. I'm, you, you are fit though. I'm. I, I'm. I'm moderately fit. Been trying to still ride my bike. Um, trying to convince Andreas to do a a LA to Vegas bike ride in a few months. So we'll see. Oh yeah, we'll we got to start happens. training for that. We got to start. We got to start training for that. Last time I um, rode a bike, I was in France, and that was a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's about it. That's awesome. Raja, loved having you on the show today. You're a true business ninja. Thank you very much for making the time. Lots of insights and truths from the trenches. Great to see you and stay safe out there. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Thank you.